Good morning once again. I want to invite you to return to where you were sitting, but don't sit. We invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Our sermon text this morning is from the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Have you ever tried to help somebody, maybe give them some guidance, some counsel, maybe, a, maybe some comfort with a word of encouragement, perhaps through an illustration or a story, a personal story, an allergy of some kind, and they, they like refuse to be comforted. They refuse your help. They kind of reject the encouragement because the contexts are different. Like, you don't understand. My situation is different. My circumstance is unique. So what you're telling me just doesn't fit. It, it doesn't apply. I can't be helped by that. I think most of us have experienced that. But if I may, don't be that person. Don't be the person who refuses to be helped and encouraged and edified. There are translatable, transferable truths across context. That they are, they, these, are, these are encouraging, applicable, beneficial, true words in different circumstances and fit in different situations. And we need to work hard to be easily edified, easily encouraged, especially by the Word of God through the people of God. And, and I say this in large measure because our text uh, for today and really our context for the entire book of 2 Thessalonians can seem like it's very different from ours. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, at the end it says, the context is in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. They're being persecuted. The word for afflictions here is just a synonym for persecutions. Now, it can mean at times general suffering or trials of certain kind, but usually it means persecution, and in this context, it surely does. You can see from verse 6, it says, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So it's not just that they're having general trials in their life, but they are being persecuted, afflicted by enemies of the cross of Christ. And it might be too easy for us to fall into the temptation of, well, I guess this is just good to learn about. I don't know because I'm not in that same context. I'm not dealing with this intense persecution in my life, so the situation is different. I can't be edified or encouraged by this text. But don't do that. Instead, sit up, lean in, and listen for what God wants to tell you today through his word. Seek to be easily encouraged from his word. First, uh, I, I, I want to just give a quick word on persecution. I think we maybe misunderstand it at times. We see it as in one shade and one shape. But persecution can take on many different forms, whether it be verbal or relational, maybe financial, legal, or physical. 
Persecution can come from many different spheres, the government or organizations, the community at large, family, friends, strangers. Persecution can be constant or it can be random and periodic. It can be minor or severe or somewhere in between. Persecution can be overt where it's really clear that that's what's happening or it can be quite subtle and you're not even sure what's going on. Persecution can come upon you suddenly or maybe gradually over time. Persecution might be short-lived or prolonged in your life. It might be localized to a certain area or group or person or it might be widespread to several areas and several groups and lots of people and so on. There are various ways to experience persecution. And it is not, I repeat, it is not uncommon for the people of God to experience it. Listen to the testimony of Scripture. Jesus says, The servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Paul says to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. This is not abnormal or uncommon for the people of God. Because of the diversity of persecution, because of the, the testimony of Scripture about the people of God experiencing persecution, I think it is safe to say that most, if not all, of the Christians here today have experienced persecution in some form or fashion, to some level or degree, in some way. And that many or most of us will experience more persecution. Maybe just more again, or more is a frequency or more intensity or all the above. But we need to know for sure that millions, literally millions of other Christians have been all throughout the world and throughout history and are currently being persecuted for the same Jesus that we believe in. And we need, we need to be prepared for persecution. And we need to live without fear of paralyzed, uh, being paralyzed because of this, oh no, it might come. Otherwise, we will not remain steadfast when it does come. We will not endure. We will not persevere. We will not continue on with Christ. We need to remain steadfast. And this is what Paul is after in this passage. I think it's actually what he's after in the entire letter. Look at verse 4. He speaks of their steadfastness and their endurance. And in chapter 1, verse 11, he speaks of their resolve. In chapter 2, verse 2, he tells them not to be easily shaken. In 2.15, he tells them to stand firm and to hold on to the truth they've been taught. In 2.17, he, he prays that, that God would establish them. And in 3.3, 3, he says that God will establish and guard them against the evil one. And in 3.5, he says, look to the steadfastness of Christ as your example and your hope. And in 3.13, he tells them not to to grow weary. He wants them to be steadfast, to go through this life, whether when it's easy or when it's hard, to remain steadfast in following the Lord Jesus. That's what he's after in this passage and in this book, and that's what I'm after. That's what, as your pastors, that's what we want for you. Whether your situation is one where it's, it's easy and, and fun and pleasurable right now, whether it's ordinary and mundane for you, or whether it's, it, it's afflictions are generic, and random or, or various, like maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe your finances are in ruins. 
or you've lost a loved one and you're still mourning, or you're sick, maybe chronic sickness, or maybe a, a parent or a child or a, a spouse or a sibling or a friend is sick and you're struggling with it, or maybe your children are not following the Lord. Maybe you are struggling with a besetting sin and it continues to best you. Maybe you're discouraged by regular doubt. Or maybe it's just a, the daily grind of all the expectations that either you or other people put upon you and it feels overwhelming. And all of this, we long for you to remain steadfast and to stay in your faith, to abide and to stand firm. Whether someday, maybe someday soon, your context becomes much the same as the Thessalonians and you are being persecuted for your faith in King Jesus. Beloved, we want you. We long for you. We pray that you, and we are preaching so that you would remain steadfast in the Lord. That's what we want for you. That's my message this morning, and that's, I think that's the goal of Paul's message, that the Thessalonians might continue in their steadfastness by continuing in their growing faith and love. That's the goal of his message, and the content of his message is quite simple. In these two verses, he simply is saying, I see that you're growing. I mean, I hear about it. I, I recognize your growth and your faith and your love in the midst of persecution. And it's, it's because of God and His grace working in you. I'm rejoicing over it because I know that this growth in your faith and love means that you will remain steadfast. That's what he's saying to them. That's the content of his message. And the type of message this is is one of encouragement. Before Paul exhorts them to be steadfast, which he does throughout this whole letter, before he exhorts them, he first encourages them. We all need warnings and rebukes and correction and teaching, but we also need encouragement. The encouragement that Paul gives here isn't merely where he's acknowledging it. He does that, but he does more than that. He's not just simply affirming that, hey, this is good that you're growing in faith and love, but he's actually trying to motivate them. He's wanting to motivate them and stir them up that they would continue to pursue growth in faith and love, that they would grow more and more in it so as to be steadfast. Paul is fanning the flame in their hearts. He to, to, he's seeking to embolden their commitment to Jesus, to bolster their perseverance in following him, to strengthen their resolve, to flee from temptation and fly away from every other sin and lie that would turn us away from Christ. He's seeking to urge them and to spur them on to more, to go deeper and higher and farther in Christ. And in all of this, Paul is encouraging them. It's meant to establish them in the hope of our coming Lord, especially in the midst of persecution. Persecution will come. It has, it is, and it will come. And so will trials of various kinds. And when they come, they will test your steadfastness. Will you remain? Will you persevere and endure up underneath it? Without God's sovereign and gracious help, you will not. Without God being at your side, you will not. You cannot persevere. You won't endure. You won't remain steadfast. But praise be to Him. He has promised for His people that He will never leave us nor forsake us that He is our ever-present help in times of trouble? Or how does He help us? How does the Lord help us to remain steadfast, especially when times are hard 
Well, he works through our growing faith to solidify our steadfastness. I want to show you something. It was really encouraging to me as I read this this past week. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, it starts off with, therefore, which tells us we need to go back to verse 3 and say, what is he pointing to? He's saying that because you are growing in your faith and in your love, because of that, therefore, we're boasting about you. But you notice, he doesn't say, because you're growing in your faith and your love, we boast about your growing faith and love. He doesn't say that. What he says is, because you're growing in faith and in love, therefore, we boast about your steadfastness. There's a link here. It's those who are growing in their faith and in their love, it's those who remain steadfast. That's what he's, that's the, that's the therefore he's connecting this. Because it's impossible to truly be steadfast without faith. In fact, without a growing faith, it's impossible to be steadfast. Perseverance, when we persevere, it proves our faith to be genuine. And genuine faith is a growing faith. Or another way to say this is that genuine faithfulness to Christ requires a growing faith in Christ. If you're to be faithful to him, you must be growing in your trust of him. So when Paul here is trying to encourage their growth in their faith and in their love, he's actually encouraging their steadfastness, that they would persevere and remain faithful to the Lord. That's his method here. That's his, his, his desire is to stir them up to continue to pursue growth in faith and love so that they would remain steadfast. And that's what I want to do for you today. I want to apply this to us so that we would remain steadfast by encouraging you and even, yes, exhorting you to pursue growth. But really, there's two points. I want you first to encourage growth in others. This is how we apply this. We need to encourage growth in others, and then we need to pursue growth in ourselves. Encourage growth in others and pursue growth in yourself. If you were to encourage growth in others, though, we need to do what Paul does here. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 again. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Here, Paul is encouraging them in their growth by three things. He says, I I, want to recognize your growth in faith and love. He just expresses his acknowledgement of it. This is happening. You're being persecuted. You're under a severe affliction, and yet you're growing, acknowledging it. He recognizes it. Number two, he relates that growth to God. He says, we ought to give thanks to God for your growth. And then thirdly, he rejoices in their growth. In verse four, he boasts, he glories, he's rejoicing in their growth that leads to steadfastness. So if we want to encourage uh, each other and others in growth, we need to do the same thing. We first need to recognize growth in others. If we're to encourage growth in others, we must recognize their growth. Look at verse 3. The very first part, it says, we ought always to give thanks. In the end of verse 4, though, he says, in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. Uh, That's kind of surprising. Why, Why would somebody give thanks? And why would someone boast and glory and rejoice When they themselves, like Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, are suffering persecution, there's hostility in Corinth when they're writing this to the Thessalonians. And the Christians of Thessalonica here, they have been suffering persecution since the inception of the church, and it's continued. So why is he giving thanks? Why is he rejoicing? I think Paul is giving thanks, and he sees that as fitting, as right, 
because of the persecution. Meaning that if there ever was a time to notice and to acknowledge and to celebrate God's good work in and through his people, it would be when they most need it, when they're suffering, when they're in affliction, and when they're being persecuted. And how amazing is it that in a time when, it seeks, when people are seeking to destroy their faith, God's growing it. When something that would threaten to break them apart, it's bringing them together in love. When you encourage others with how you see them growing, whether it's in a time of, of just common, ordinary life and everything's seeming to be fine or growing great, or whether it's great, terrible affliction and suffering, when you encourage people in what you see them growing in, it actually motivates them to want to grow more. It motivates them to pursue more growth in that. So we ought to boast about God's work more often, I think, than we do. We ought to boast in God's work in the lives of his people because it glorifies him, it encourages the people who are growing, and it blesses and encourages other people who hear about it. But if I may, when was the last time you looked for growth in other people? I'm not saying critically, but so as you might encourage them. When was the last time you said, I want to give glory and thanks to God for how he's growing others? When was the last time you went to somebody and said, I've been, I've been watching you and I've seen you grow in this area and I'm praising God for it? We ought to be, we ought to be, it is right for us to be an encouraging church, to encourage one another in the growth that we see so that it would grow all the more so that we will remain steadfast to the Lord Jesus. We need that. And as we recognize growth in others, we ought to relate that growth to God. If we're going to encourage growth in others, we recognize it, and then we relate that growth to God. Again, verse 3, where he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Because God is the one who is doing this. Now, if it ever feels awkward to you to, to encourage somebody and say, hey, I, I, I notice your accomplishments, your achievements, and, and your strength, and your, so, your focus solely on their resourcefulness and their abilities and their giftedness without a thought or a word to how God has blessed them, if that feels awkward to you, good. It should. I'm not saying you can't ever give somebody a simple thank you or tell them, hey, great job. But I do think that more and more we ought to be thinking in terms of, man, not just thank you, but I am so thankful to God for you. Praise be to God. And how encouraging is it when someone comes to you and says, what you just did to that person or for me, or what I see you doing with your kids or in your marriage or with your friends or in your work or whatever it is, I see that as a gift from heaven itself. God is working in you, brother. Like praise be to God that he is so gracious, he loves you so much that he's working in you and through you. And that's awesome. I give thanks to God for it. Look at chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verses 13 and 14. Paul says very similarly, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you, through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice here the focus. We ought to give thanks to God because you are loved by God, because God chose you to be sanctified by the Spirit of God and believe in the truth about God from God. To this he called you through, you through our gospel that is about God. 
all to obtain the glory of our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is from first to last, the one who gives health and life and, yes, growth. Give thanks to God. Relate it to God. Attribute it to God. And then rejoice in it. If you want to encourage growth in others, recognize it. Relate it to God and then rejoice in their growth. Again, in verse 3, in the first part, he says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. When he says we ought always here, I I don't think he's saying, well, it's just a a, a duty, an obligation we have to do. He's saying, like, this is what is, is good and right. I feel it welling up in this inside of me. There's no other thing I can say except for praise God for what he's doing. And he says, as is right, this is not flattery. I'm not going beyond what is right. This is fitting. It's appropriate for me to tell you this. And in verse 4, he says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you. It might be small, but he doesn't say we boast. He says we ourselves boast. In, in Greek here, this is an emphasis where he's saying we ourselves are like, we are all in. We are excited about what's happening, and we are boasting, glorying, rejoicing in what is happening to you. Why? Well, because they, they know the value, the importance, the necessity of growing in faith and in love. It's necessary for steadfastness, and they're rejoicing over it. But they also rejoice in this because they love the Thessalonians. They were there. They preached the gospel to them. They were their spiritual fathers. And these, these brand new believers... They had to leave shortly after. And they knew they were leaving them in a terrible situation with much persecution, heavy affliction. And they're concerned. They're worried about them. So they're, they're writing letters. They're sending people and saying, give us a report. And they're so worried. And they get back this report that they're not only doing okay, they are growing abundantly. And they rejoice because they love these people. And thirdly, because they're amazed. They're amazed at what God is doing in a time that should shake and break their faith. It's growing. Their love isn't decreasing. It's increasing beyond measure. And they're amazed that God does this. We ought to do the same. We ought to rejoice in the wisdom and mercy of of God that He works through ordinary situations and He works through terrible situations. He's not limited by anything. He does not He never has and he never will merely clean up the mess of sin and suffering in our lives as though he were playing catch up and go, oh, I got to fix this. I got to put out this fire. And no, 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 no. You see, he has ordained. He has planned from before the foundation of this world to cause growth in us through, through ordinary times, through good times, and through affliction and even persecution. What a great God. What a wise, faithful, sovereign, and merciful shepherd is he who says... I know how to grow you when it's really easy, when there's comfort and ease, and I know how to grow you even abundantly so in affliction. And you wouldn't choose this suffering, and not, he's not telling us to just choose it, like by itself. But he says, I choose it for you sometimes because I know you need it, and I'm doing, and I plan to do, and I will always do great things through it. Is that not encouraging to you? Does not encourage you that God loves you that much, is committed to you that much, that he's such a wise and skillful shepherd. Does that not encourage you to want to pursue growth for yourself? We ought to encourage others in their growth, but we also ought to pursue growth for ourselves. And I think that's part what Paul's after here when he's telling them, this is so wonderful. I'm praising God for your growth and your faith and love. He, I think he's trying to stir up within them a desire for more of it, that they would pursue it. Well, if you want to pursue growth for yourself, you need to do at least these three things. Number one, You have to want to pursue growth. 
If you don't want it, you won't pursue it. If you don't value it, you won't go after it. You need to value growth more than you value pleasures of this world. You have to value growth and faith and love more than you hate affliction. You must see that the importance of growing in faith and love more than you want to avoid persecution. If you don't desire growth more than you desire the pleasures of this world, more than you desire freedom from suffering, you won't pursue it. Or when it gets hard, you'll leave off. You'll turn away, and you will not remain steadfast. You have to see that it's worth it. You have to count it as saying, yes, it is so good, so valuable, so important, so necessary to pursue growth in faith and love. And I'm willing to walk through fire. You have to be committed to it. If you're not, when the going gets tough or when it gets boring, you won't continue. So, why is it good? Why is growing in faith and love so good that we ought to give thanks for it? Why is it so valuable and so important that we ought to count it worthy of suffering for? Well, because growing in faith in Jesus produces love, for others. When we have a growing faith, we will have an increasing love. Allow me just to remind you very simply, very quickly, why faith is so vital, so wonderful, so good, so necessary. Beloved, your faith is what unites you to Christ. Your faith is what moves you to pray. Your faith is what animates your obedience. It's what produces your love. It's what brings you peace. Faith tethers you to Scripture and therefore frees you from every wind and wave of doctrine, every foolish fad and empty promise that this world offers you. By faith, you flee temptation. By faith, you repent of sin. By faith, you resist the devil himself. By faith, God shows himself mighty and merciful in all of your weakness, all of your failures, in all of your sins. By faith, you abide in Christ And by faith, you bear fruit to the glory of God. Well, faith is absolutely necessary. It is important and valuable more than all the riches of the world. All the peace and comfort and freedom you could ever have. You must grow in faith. For without growing in faith in Jesus, you will not grow in love. And without growing in faith and in love, you will not persevere. You will not remain steadfast. So if you want to grow in faith and in love for yourself, you have to want it, and then you have to know what growth looks like. What are you aiming at? What's your, what's your target? Well, first, it, it doesn't always look the same. It doesn't look the same for every person or in every season or stage of life. The, word, the words that Paul uses here in verse 3 where he says, because your faith is growing abundantly, And because the love of every one of you for one another is increasing, the two Greek words he uses for growing here and increasing are like this extraordinary growth, this unexpected, beyond what's normal kind of growth. Abundant, unexpected, extraordinary growth is glorious. It is praiseworthy, but it's periodic. It's not normative. Yet still, genuine growth is normal. It is ordinary. It is necessary in the life of every Christian. So if you've been a Christian for a while and you're thinking, 
man, I, I'm, not, I'm not growing like this abundantly and, and increasing beyond measure. That doesn't see like, seem like where I'm at. Maybe you look back at earlier ages, at earlier stages in your life where you're saying, when I first became a Christian or when I was in, in, in college or when I, after I experienced that one thing, man, I was just explosive growth and it doesn't seem to be like that now. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Explosive growth like this is wonderful. It's just not normal. But consistent growth, regular, genuine growth is. Well, then maybe you ask, but what if I'm not growing at all? If you are truly not growing at all, then you are not alive in Christ at all. And I know that's not easy to wrap your head around. But if we don't continue growing in faith and love, we, don't, we won't merely be neutral, standing still in Christ. No, we will be knocked down, dragged away, and lost, proving that we were never in Christ in the first place. Because if you're not growing in your faith and your love, you will not remain steadfast. And if you don't remain steadfast in your faith, your faith was never genuine. Jesus says in John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If, if, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you are doing nothing, if you are bearing no fruit, if you are not growing in your faith and your love, you're not abiding in me. You have no part with me. Not yet, at least. He says, the only thing you're good for at this point is be thrown into the fire and burned. Peter in 2 Peter 1.8 he, he lists this whole, uh, has a whole list of virtues, of these qualities of, of faith and steadfastness and knowledge and brotherly kindness and love. And he says, if you have these qualities and they're increasing, if you have them and if you're growing in them, then you will prove to be effective, not unfruitful. You will prove that you are abiding in Christ. You will bear fruit to the glory of God and you will remain Again, I, I know that's heavy if you hear, if I'm not growing, if I'm really, truly not growing, then I'm not a Christian at all. It's true. And yet, you must remember that not all growth is rapid. Not all growth is abundant and extraordinary. So it, it can be hard to see at times, especially when you're up close and, and looking over a short period of time. We have a, 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 um, a two-by-four in our garage that every year we mark our kids' heights on. We put the date on it. And you don't really see how much they grow until the end of the year. Like, wow, that's crazy. Because you, I'm with them all day, every day, and I, I don't always notice the growth. People maybe see them after six months or a year, and they go, wow, they just shot up. They've gotten so tall. And I guess, I guess you're right. I haven't noticed. You may be growing at a sure and steady pace it's just difficult to recognize at times. Not all fruit ripens at the same speed as other fruit, you see. So you say, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm just growing very slowly and it's hard to recognize or whether I'm not actually growing at all and won't remain steadfast because I'm not actually in Christ? How do I know? Let me give you three questions you can ask yourself that maybe help with this. Number one, ask yourself, do I see growth in myself over the course of a year or three or five. Don't ask, have I been growing in the last six hours? Nobody can see that. 
over the course of, of, of a longer period, ask yourself that question. Maybe more importantly, number two, do others see growth in me over time? And that, this, of course, requires that you're actually in intentional community with others. You're in Piney family or you're in a discipleship group. You're in with other people saying, I need you to know me. I need you to observe my life. I need you to know my fears and my values and my concerns and my struggles so that you can actually tell me, hey, don't go that way. Hey, go this way. Hey, I'm going to encourage you, brother. I see you growing. Sister, this is wonderful. And yeah, I see it. Maybe most importantly, ask yourself, am I sincerely, faithfully, and actively pursuing growth? Sometimes we might read a passage like this, as I did last week, and was somewhat discouraged, going, I, I, don't, I don't see this in me. Not, not this abundant, extraordinary growth. I, I have before. And, and maybe some things that, that used to seem easy to me now seem actually harder for me. Am I regressing instead of growing? Maybe that's a stage you're in. Maybe that's a season of life where life is harder in this area or that. But the question is, are you pursuing growth? Because you see, a true Christian, when confronted with their apathy, when confronted with their, their laziness or their indifference, when confronted with, hey, you seem to be living in unrepentance or in sin, true Christians respond with repentance and pursuing growth. Are you pursuing growth sincerely, faithfully, and actively now? And it may be helpful to remember that the faith and the love of the Thessalonians, though exploding like mad, it wasn't perfect. Their faith and their love wasn't pure in every way. But it was real. Their faith and their love was aimed in the right direction. It was Godward. And they were pursuing growth. They were pursuing change. But again, what does that look like? If we are to pursue it, what does it look like for us to be growing in faith? It looks like we're trusting God in more and more areas of life. It looks like that we are turning to God more quickly in the face of challenges and struggles and opposition. It looks like we have a greater fierceness and consistency in fighting to believe looks like we have a greater confidence in and reliance on God's word. When we are growing in faith, it means we have a deeper rest in God's character, in God's promises. It means that we will lean more heavily on the Holy Spirit to empower us to flee temptation, to overcome sin, to resist the devil, and to joyfully obey the Lord Jesus. When our faith is growing, we more consciously and intentionally believe that following Jesus is worth any and all suffering. It's worth persecution and affliction because we believe that Jesus is better. And if you're increasing in love for one another, what does that look like? It looks like you're increasing in your desire to be gathered together with Christ's church, His people. It looks like you're increasing affection for them and commitment to their good. When you're increasing in love, it means you're increasing in prayer for them, both in passion and in frequency. It means you're increasing in service and in self-sacrifice and in generosity for your brothers and sisters in need. When you're increasing in love for one another, it means that you're increasing in patience and forgiveness and willingness to fight for unity with God's people. Do you want this? 
Do, do you want this kind of growing faith and this growing love? Do you value it? Do you see it as important and necessary for your steadfastness? Are you committed to pursuing this growth? And how do you do it? If you want to pursue growth for yourself, you have to want it, be committed to it. You have to know what it looks like. And thirdly, you have to know how to pursue growth. So how does our faith grow? How does our love grow, especially in storms of affliction? Because you, we might think storms would actually break our faith or cause our love to wither. I mean, if, if you're suffering together, you think, well, that will bind us together, but maybe it actually just makes you irritable and impatient and selfish. So how does our faith and love grow? Through what means are we to seek to grow in faith in the midst of persecution or affliction? In a season like that, how do, what do we pursue? The same things we pursue in every other season of life. Faith and love grow from the warm sunshine of prayer. Get on your knees and ask God like the sun brings down its rays to warm you and give you light that he would increase your love and your faith. Our faith and our love grow with the necessary oxygen of obedience. We're breathing in his word and out obedience. This is how it works. We respond to what he says. Number three, our faith and our love grow in the encouraging, exhorting, and edifying soil of Christian community. You, it, you just simply cannot. You will not and you cannot grow as you ought alone. You need the soil of Christian community. And this fourth and last means of pursuing growth. I've left it for last because I think it's one of the most obvious and one of the most important and yet often one of the most neglected. Our faith and our love grow by the refreshing water of the Word. We drink deeply of this well of life and we grow. I want to show you that from 2 Thessalonians. <clears throat> Grab your Bibles and look with me. Chapter 1. <clears> of <throat> 2 Thessalonians, the end of verse 10, he says, Among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Like they heard the words of Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, and they believed them. Chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Why? Because he saved you, look at the end, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You heard the truth. You responded with faith. And then the 14. To this he called you through our gospel. To this gospel message that is proclaimed, you heard it, you responded, you believed. Verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. As this gospel is being proclaimed to them, they hear it and they believe. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. How is it that their faith was growing abundantly and their, and their love for one another was increasing beyond measure? The word of the Lord was proclaimed to them. They heard it. They read it. And they honored it by believing in it. Well, what's the word about? What is their tradition? What is their testimony? What is this gospel about? It's about the the gracious and powerful love of God. Again, in chapter 1, at the end of verse 12, this is according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. You are loved by the Lord himself. 
chapter 2, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Chapter 3, verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. And he begins and ends this whole uh, epistle with the grace of God. His message that they hear, that they respond to with faith is this gospel of the powerful and gracious love of God. It must be heard. It must be believed. Faith in God's abundant love for you leads you to increase in love for one another and therefore remain steadfast. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus tells, uh, he, he has this interaction with this woman and he says basically, that those who are loved much and embrace that love by faith, those are the ones who love much. The loved become those who love. Those who by faith embrace how truly and abundantly loved they are by God in Christ Jesus, it is those who are then freed and driven to love others out of the overflow of God's love for them. Imagine you had pockets that had just endless gold. Every time you reached in, you threw out gold. You think you'd quabble with somebody over, hey, uh, you, 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 you shorted me 13 cents. Uh, that's my penny. No, touch it. That's mine. No. You, you'd say, well, here, have more. I, I got an endless supply. If you have an overflowing, never-ending supply of perfect love from God himself, and this is key, and if you embrace it and hold on to it with faith, then you will feel no need to manipulate love from others. You will feel no need to fight to get it from others. You will be freed and motivated and driven to give love to others. I have an abundance because you know you have more than enough forever and ever. And it's faith in God's love that increases your love. And when your faith and love are increasing, then you will remain steadfast, yes, even in affliction. And you know, as the sun shines and the air breathes and the water refreshes, in the midst of the soil, plants grow like a good, strong fertilizer in the soil, far from affliction being that which undoes and breaks apart the people of God, God has ordained these times of affliction to actually cause us to grow all the more. You don't need affliction to grow generally, and yet there are times when affliction becomes like a fertilizer that you grow abundantly and you increase beyond measure. And I think one of the reasons, maybe the main reason why this is, is because it drives you to your knees all the more. When you are suffering and in affliction and persecution, it, it, it makes you want to say, I got to be in this word. I need it. It's my very life. It's an anchor for my soul. You look to the people of God and you follow the straight and narrow path of Jesus all the more strictly. God knows that we need this at times, but He brings it to us. He brings us into it. He carries us out of it. And He's with us in the midst of it. All of this comes from the gracious and powerful love of God. Oh, we ought we ought to give thanks to God for the growth we see in ourselves and in others. Those who are growing in their faith, those who are increasing in their love will surely stand firm 
continue on, persevere and remain steadfast through every season of life, through every storm of affliction, yes, even through persecution. So, beloved, encourage growth in one another and pursue growth for yourselves. But you cannot grow in something you do not actually have. And you cannot remain steadfast in Christ if you are not actually in Christ. So this morning, if you are not yet trusting in this gospel message about God's powerful and gracious love coming to you, an undeserving sinner, through Jesus Christ, who He is and what He has done, if your faith is not in Him, then when others come to partake of communion, stay where you are, please. Stay where you are and pray. Ask God to open the eyes of your heart to grant you faith that you would see your sin for what it is. You would see His love and His grace and His saving work for what it is. That you would understand the gospel. And please, put on a connection card or come and talk to one of the pastors afterwards or another Christian saying, I want this. I want to know more. It would be our genuine joy to talk to you. And if you are trusting in this gospel, this Lord Jesus who is Savior and Lord, then in just a moment you can exit to your left and come up to one of these tables, taking the communion elements with the gluten-free being to the far left here. And go back to your seat to the right and take these communion elements that represent the, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ given for sinners like us. And would you pray a simple prayer, asking God to grow your faith, increase your love, so that you would remain steadfast in Him from now and forever. For those who should come whenever you're ready, please do.